Welcome to the tape ministry of Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, whose mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our desire that the tapes of these services and messages from God's Word will touch lives deeply and encourage a closer walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you wish to contact the church for any reason, please phone us at 253-851-7779 or write us at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, Post Office Box 829, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. At the end of the first section of the recording, please turn the tape over to hear the rest of the service. Now may God richly bless you as you join the people of Chapel Hill in worshiping the Lord and listening to the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to see 80 people in that choir for our Christmas celebration. That means there's about 40 of you out there yet to hear that call too, so let's get on it. Pete Carr, could I ask you to stand up, please? Where are you, Pete? Let's have a moment of silence, could we please? Today is Pete's 60th birthday, so could we? <laughs> Thank you, you may be seated. <laughs> Happy birthday, brother. Um... Twelve years ago, this Sunday, I was preaching my first sermon here at Chapel Hill Church. I was the heir of a wonderful legacy of faithfulness that was begun on this hill by a man named Paul Neal and his wife, Della Ruth. As a matter of fact, Chapel Hill Church is named Chapel Hill Church because Della Ruth won the naming contest. I don't know if it was a stacked competition. I mean, it's the pastor's wife, and how many, how many uh, entrances, entries did they have? I don't know. But we are Chapel Hill because of Della Ruth. We are Chapel Hill in many ways because of Della Ruth and Paul Neal. Friday, Della Ruth went home to be with the Lord. And uh, this Saturday at 11 o'clock, we will celebrate her homegoing. And it strikes me as we get prepared to enter into a book that more than any other seeks to give us a, a visual image of what heaven and glory must look like. Della Ruth has one leg up on us yet again because she's there now with the Lord, gathered with the saints around the throne of grace singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. If you care to join us in this place of worship, her legacy, next Saturday at 11 o'clock, as we bid farewell to our friend Della Ruth. It's good to be back with you. Four or five months ago, I was playing some tennis and I hurt my foot. The doctor said it was plantar fasciitis. I can't spell it, but all I know is that when I get out of bed and put my foot on the ground, it feels like I have a thumbtack in the middle of my left heel. So finally, after suffering with this for four or five months and trying all kinds of home remedies, my wife convinced me to go to the physical therapist. I went last week. She is a beautiful, bubbly young woman. On the surface. (laughs) But underneath that phony facade lies the heart of a Spanish inquisitor. (laughs) Her name is Terry, but I renamed her Torquemada. And for those of you who remember, Torquemada was the official who was responsible during the Spanish Inquisitions for torturing, torturing, torturing people 
until they finally confess Christ. We call them TV evangelists today. Anyway, Terry took her, took my foot and took her thumb and she placed it right in the middle of my heel, drove it up to about her elbow, and she said, is that the spot? After I pulled myself off of the ceiling, I said, yes, that's the spot. With her good training, she would manage to hit the nerve. When I announced a few months ago that I was going to be preaching on the book of Revelation, I hit a nerve. In all of my ministry, I have never had more of a response, more anticipation about an upcoming sermon series than I have about this series. And believe me, the response has been very mixed. On one hand, there are folks who are thrilled. They are convinced that I'm going to explain to them how the seven-headed beast is really the European common market, and I'm going to reveal the identity of the Antichrist in the third lesson. (laughs) On the other side of the story are those who summed it up succinctly with these words. What do you want to do that for? Uh, I even heard that from a pastor. Rick Murray, the pastor of First Press Yakima, and I are doing this series together. Actually, Rick is cheating. He's starting several weeks after I am, so I get to do all the work, and then he finds out how it went over, and he decides whether he bails out or not. (laughs) But when I told another pastor friend that Rick and I were doing this, his response was why. He was genuinely puzzled as to why I would give a year of my preaching ministry to this book. So where are you in this conversation? Are you in the I-can't-wait-to-hear-all-of-the-juicy-tidbits-and-the-gory-details group? Or are you in the, this book is the craziest assortment of stories and creatures I have ever read and it doesn't make a lick of sense group? Or are you somewhere in between? Wherever you are, Revelation strikes a nerve. Of all of the books in the Bible, I'll bet this is the one that elicits the strongest response, don't you? And it particularly elicits a strong response from young, unchurched people. People who don't care a whit about our traditionalism, our religiosity, Maybe even our Bible. Somehow, the book of Revelation captures their attention. They are interested in it. So why am I doing it? Well, can you think of a better time to preach on the Revelation than this year? We are approaching a new millennium. Y2K is 110 days away and counting. Never in the last 1,000 years has there been greater interest in matters pertaining to the end times than what we are experiencing right now. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins have a million bestseller series of books, the uh, Left Behind series. Let's have a show of hands. How many of you have read at least one of those books? There you go. See? Incidentally, they will not be the text for this sermon series either. (laughs) But they're fascinating. People are hungry. They are interested. We want to know what the future holds. So we're better to turn then to the Lord of the future. I'm convinced of a couple of things. First of all, you probably will not hear all of the things from me that you expect or think you might hear. Secondly, I am convinced that if we, uh, if we give ourselves to this rigorously, that we are going to have a profound experience, a worship experience of, with Jesus Christ that we have never had before as a church congregation. Because above everything else, whether you believe this or not, the book of Revelation is a book about worship. We are going to meet over the next coming months the risen Christ in a powerful way. So let us begin by reading from the prologue, which means before the the word, logos, log, and the epilogue of this book. I would suggest to you that you bring your own Bibles, that you bring some sort of a pen that you can write in because you're going to probably want to take some notes in this series. 
That's presuming a lot, I know, but I think I might have one or two things to say that you'll want to hear. Let us begin with Revelation chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know what the word there means? The word in the actual Aramaic is, you know the word, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And all of God's people said, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And now, God, we pray that you would take those things which are hidden, those things which are mysterious, and you would reveal them to us. Open your word, open our eyes, open our hearts to see the world as you see it, the future as you have determined it will be, and our lives as they might be changed because we have had this encounter with you. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning, as you noticed, is There Is No S in Revelation. And that will be the outline for the book this morning, for my lesson. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, I mean that I can't get my water out of here. There we go. First of all, I mean exactly what I say. There is no S in Revelation. It is not Revelations. It is Revelation. Say it. Revelation. Say it. I heard S's on the end of that. Say it again. Revelation. If, you, if I hear you saying Revelations, you get a big fat F for the whole year. Revelation. That's the starting point. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not Revelations. Believe it or not, I went to a website of a person who had preached a series on the book of the Revelation yesterday just to check out, and it was entitled, The Revelations of Jesus Christ. He got it wrong! They got it wrong! It is the Revelation. That's just a pet peeve of mine. It's right up there with calling espresso, espresso, and calling prostates, prostrates. (laughs) Those are kind of the big three for me. Revelation, espresso, and prostate. Okay? The title of the book comes from the very first word in the Greek text, which is apocalypsis, apocalypsis, from which we get the word apocalypse, apocalypse. That's the very first word. In the Greek, the word means literally an unveiling or a revelation. (laughs) When we read the opening words, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The author, John, and we will talk more about him next week, and I do believe it was John, is telling us that it is Jesus himself who has uncovered, unveiled these things, and revealed it to his apostle John, 
who in turn now seeks to reveal them to us. So that is one S that is not in Revelation. Revelation. Here's another. There's not this S either. It is not stupid. It is not stupid. Some folks think it is just plain stupid. It is a waste of time to study this book. When you read the Revelation, especially from chapter 4 on, it is as if you have stepped into another world. And indeed you have. It is a world of grotesque creatures and gross plagues and talking animals and human beings that look like animals with lots of eyes. It is bizarre. Some folks think it is downright stupid. The reformer Martin Luther did. Luther hated Revelation. Uh, It's the only book he hated more than he hated the book of James. And he didn't think it should be in the Bible. Well, I don't think it is stupid. The Apostle John did not think it is stupid. The early church did not think it is stupid. Do you know that the Revelation is more quoted by the early church theologians than any other book in the Bible? When you're reading the early theologians, 100, or 200, 300, 400 A.D., they quote the Revelation more than any other book in the Bible. And there's another reason that we might want to consider giving another shot to this book. Because the reader and listener of the book are promised something. Did you see it in verse 3? What are we promised if we're willing to read and to hear the Revelation? What are we promised? Blessing. Blessed is the ones who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. There is no other book in the Bible that promises a blessing for reading it. Would you like a blessing? Some of you wouldn't like a blessing. (laughs) For those of you who would like a blessing, and I would, we're going to read the book. We're going to listen to the book. I'm surprised Martin Luther didn't want the blessing. Here's another S that you're not going to find in this journey through Revelation. There's no S in the title. There is no S for stupid. There is no S for speculation. Revelation is probably the most speculated about book ever written. There have been enough clever outlines, enough imaginative scenarios, enough creative interpretations, enough intricate timelines conjured up out of this book to choke a seven-headed beast with ten horns. Believe me, I was no exception. I was... I've told you in the past of my high school years when uh, the late great planet Earth had just come out by Hal Lindsey. I went and listened to Hal Lindsey speak. I thought that the Lord was returning that week. Seriously, what's the point of cleaning my room? Jesus is coming back. <laughs> and everyone was reading it. And I remember it sparked a great uh, fire of interest and speculation about the end times. I remember one time that we sat down in our high school fellowship room. We called ourselves the God Squad after the Mod Squad show on TV. Uh, We had this ugly patchwork uh, carpet that we had made, this remnant carpet and this garish purple cross on the wall, and we thought we were very groovy. And I remember sitting there with my other high school chums, and we were getting ourselves worked up into a lather about who the Antichrist might be. We had all kinds of speculation, but the winner was John F. Kennedy, because he died of a mortal head wound, died of a mortal head wound. No one had seen his body after he went into the hospital. We were sure that must be the guy. And we are certain, too, that the 666, the mark of the beast, was actually the visa card. Because if you take visa, V-I-S-A, and spell it out in Greek, it adds up to 666. (laughs) You might want to write that one down. So I'd go with MasterCard if I was you. I know this is going to disappoint you, but I'll tell you right up front, I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe it. 
Much of what you have heard about this book is pure speculation, pure baloney. I agree with the Christian writer G.K. Chesterton, who once remarked that, quote, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creatures so wild as one of his own commentators, unquote. As a matter of fact, I think that the commentators and the preachers who launched themselves out into these excursions of imagination would do well to reread chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. I will read them for you. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. You think John was serious about this stuff? We already saw that the book begins, as no other book begins in the Bible, with a blessing, a promise of blessing. Now we find that it ends with a grave warning for anyone who would monkey with the message. It is the only book in the Bible to do so. We are going to take this book very seriously. And we're going to try to take the book of the Revelation on its own merits. As much as possible, we will let the book speak for itself. And believe me, there is enough that is exciting there that without inventing any more. So that will be our endeavor. Now let me give you a few S's that are in the book of the Revelation. First of all, spectacle. Spectacle. The book is spectacular, as is no other book in the, in the Scriptures. Remember I told you that the title comes from the first word, the apocalypsis, which means the revealing or the unveiling. But this word apocalyptic came to mean something else too. It represents an entire genre of literature which began to appear about 200 years before the time of Jesus. Apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature, you need to get this, had several elements common to apocalyptic literature. One of the things was there was a hiddenness to it. There was always a sense of mystery, of something that was not revealed yet, that was something that was unknown but waiting to be revealed. Apocalyptic always contains upheaval and drama. There are earthquakes, there are plagues, there are floods. It is the end of the world. Apocalyptic is always vivid, always vivid images. There are people who appear as animals, and in some cases, strange animals. There are strange creatures of odd design doing unusual things. Swords coming out of the mouths and so forth. Apocalyptic is always vivid it has sweeping panoramas of action and war and sickness. And more importantly, most importantly of all, apocalyptic always includes the intervention of God. It always includes at the last minute when everything seems bleak, hopeless, impossible. Apocalyptic literature always brings then the intervention of God, the divine act of God who enters into human affairs and resolves things. The book of Daniel is apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament. Go back and read some of it. Parts of Isaiah and Jeremiah are apocalyptic. There are even things that Jesus said that were apocalyptic in nature. Remember when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up again? That is apocalyptic language. He wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about this temple. So he combines images that don't make sense, says things that seem fantastic. And only on the other side of Easter Sunday can you understand what that apocalyptic statement meant. That is apocalyptic literature. Now, it was not odd to John and his readers because they had a lot of apocalyptic literature at the time. But we don't. It seems odd to us. And if we are going to understand this vivid upheaval literature, 
we are going to have to do so by approaching it as children. Well, what do I mean by that? This summer we were in Disneyland. Three days in Disneyland. It was the longest month of my life. <laughs> if I never have to stand in a line again, it'll be too soon. But there is... What, we, we had some moments that were fun, but there is one section in the park that parents do not enjoy. We don't get it. We don't get it. We don't like it. But we got to go to it if we got kids. What's the section? No, well, yes. Oh, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> You're right. That's even worse. Small world is what he said. Yes, it's horrible. You leave there and that song's playing in your head for a week afterwards. You want to get brainwashed just to get it out. Well, that kind of ruins my point. <laughs> I should have clued you in on what I was going to say so you could have given the right answer. What I was thinking about was Fantasyland. Fantasyland. Alice in Wonderland. Peter Pan. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. We don't mind standing in line for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom for 45 minutes. But we... To, 45 minutes to ride on Peter Pan... It doesn't make any sense to us. We hate it. I hate it. If you don't hate it, that's all right. I hate it. And then I look at my children's face. And they are captivated. They are enthralled. They are scared. They are delighted. All of those things. To me, Alice in Wonderland is one hokey ride. But to Cooper, it is a magical place with smiling, invisible cats and a crazy queen, and playing cards with arms, legs, and spears. We must try to become like children as we read this book. Revelation is not so much meant to be dissected and parsed and figured out as it is to be experienced. It, and without appearing to be profane, and I don't mean to, but it is a divine and inspired message given to us in a form that is something like a combination of Scripture, prophecy, cartoon, MTV, video games all wrapped up into one. If ever there was a generation that might understand the book of Revelation, it should be us. For we now know what it means to be overwhelmed with sensory input. And that's what John was going through when he received this revelation and what he tried to convey to us on the page, which pales. Revelation is spectacle. Listen to the images. One... in the midst of seven lampstands holding seven stars in his right hand. A throne surrounded by four living creatures full of eyes. A lamb as if slain with seven eyes and seven horns. A beast from the sea with ten horns and seven heads followed by a beast from the earth with two horns like a lamb who speaks like a dragon. Wow! And if all of that sounds a little bit confusing to you, take heart. As we will see, even John didn't get it. More than once in the apocalypse, the author, John, says, is that what it means? And the angel says, no, that's not what it means. And he starts to fall down and worship. They say, don't worship us. We're just creatures like you. He does it twice. Even John didn't get the revelation. So take heart. Take heart. And we enter into this. Let us experience the spectacle of it. Try reading it this week. 
Read it in one sitting. Read it more than once. Maybe read it out loud. And don't try to figure it out. Just read it. Absorb it. Listen to it. Revelation is meant to be experienced as spectacle. Revelation is also about salvation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it is also a revelation about Jesus Christ. It tells the story of how Jesus came to earth. Did you know that there is a Christmas story in Revelation? Did you know? Revelation 12. Go home and read it. I will be preaching it on it for Christmas Eve. And when you read it, you wonder, what in the world is he going to do with that? But that is John's Christmas story. It tells, this book, it tells of Jesus' sacrifice for us. It trumpets his resurrection. It shouts of his victorious battle with the forces of evil for our eternal souls. It is the gospel of salvation. But it is a gospel as we never see it in Matthew or in Mark or in Luke or even in John. Last week I was meeting with Elder Sam God who is leading, putting together our wonderful fall stewardship banquets coming up November 7th and 8th. And Judy, Queen, Judy Keene, our queen of publications. <laughs> Sam, was, Sam, after we had our meeting, set his glasses down on the floor next to his books because he had to go outside for a moment. Judy wanted to show me something, so she jumps out of the chair, but her foot was asleep. And you guessed it, she stomps right on Sam's glasses. And I mean, she stomped on those puppies. They were a mess. A lens popped out. The earpieces were straight flat out. The nose pads were smashed. And she hands them to me. And Sam's starting to walk back in. So I'm popping this lens back in and trying to push all this thing back. And I hand it back, you know, and it's just like this. And he looks at me like, what are you doing with my glasses? Judy begged Sam to tell her that he bought them off the, sh- uh, the rack at Rite Aid. And he said, no, as a matter of fact, these are $500 glasses. <laughs> oh, they were a mess. The, the story of Revelation, as you will see, is a story of salvation. It is the story of a world that has been stomped on, flattened out, nearly destroyed, beyond remedy. And then steps up a Messiah who intervenes and saves what seemed beyond saving. It is the story of salvation. It is spectacle, it is salvation, and finally one more S. It is sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy religious word that means to be made holy, to be made more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. Our mission statement here at Chapel Hill Church is to present everyone mature in Christ. And I believe that this study is going to help us to grow up together more into a likeness of Christ, to become more mature in Him. Not because every single sermon will have nice three-point outlines that can be drawn from the text. They will not sometimes. We're going to have to work hard, which means I'm going to have to work hard. But it will be at times, I think, even deeper than that. As we read these pages, we're going to find ourselves drawn into the presence of Almighty God with words and emotions that we have never encountered before as a church body. By entering into this spectacle with the Apostle Paul, we will have a a vivid, technicolor, awesome, breathtaking experience of Jesus Christ. I believe that. As John writes, we will hear the voice of the Lamb of God. As John writes, we will hear the angels singing around the throne of glory. As John writes, we are going to get a glimpse of heaven 
a heaven that is larger and grander than anything that we might ever have imagined. As John writes, we will be shaken by the mighty voice of God as he speaks the culmination of all things. As John writes, we are going to join with the saints of 2,000 years as they cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come now. I pray that that will be our experience. I ask you to pray that it will be our experience too. Let us pray. Lord God, we look forward to meeting you in new and vivid ways in these coming weeks and months. In some ways, it intimidates us because we don't understand it. But God, there's much that we don't understand. And we pray that as we dare to read this book, which you have promised would be a blessing to us, we pray that it will be a blessing to us, that we will grow in our faith, we will grow deeper in you, we will encounter you in rich ways that we have never experienced before. I pray that for this congregation. I pray that for myself. Lord God, we are now about to give some of our wealth back to you. It is wealth that you have first given to us. You know our needs. You know where things are tight. I pray, God, that now as you have spoken to our hearts and reminded us of your provision for us, that once again, through your people listening to your voice, you will provide anew. Please meet our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And please bless both gift and giver now. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
following this in every service, we have a team of people who meet to my left to pray with anyone who might desire prayer. I have no idea how the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, but I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. And I would urge you to listen to the voice of the Spirit, whether it's healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, or maybe you want to receive Jesus Christ, of whom we spoke this day for the first time. There are people up here who would love to pray with you, and I invite you to come forward and do that. Let me again repeat our invitation to take advantage of the adult opportunities of Wednesday night, even of our pastor's luncheon after the second service. We're so delighted to have you back. It's nice to get started again, isn't it? Now let's receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace, both now and evermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.